I'm going to start by reading today from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. So you can look it up in your Bibles or on your screens or wherever you have it. Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Now we are God's people. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. And God shows his great love for us by choosing us to be holy and set apart for him and making us a community where, his, where God dwells among us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, offer ourselves to you in this time we have together, is this time we have under the teaching of your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would set us apart for your purposes and for your calling today, Lord God. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, that you'd speak to us, that you'd show us wonderful things that we hadn't known, Lord God, and that each of us will be changed by what we hear and what we believe and by what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this is part four of our series on discovering the heart of God in the Old Testament. In this series, we're learning that the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament is the same God. He's one God. He has one purpose and one plan, and this is his story, and it's our story too. I hope that um, you're able to study along with this series. I've a couple of people told me today they're reading in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and things like that, so good for you. That's really what we're, we're here for, is to kind of give you a roadmap of places along the journey through the Old Testament so you sort of can know where you're going and how to get there. <clears throat> we're not going to be able to cover everything in the Old Testament because they're only giving me a limited amount of time, and I would need a, well, we would need like a year, wouldn't we? It's only going to feel like a year. No, it won't. Uh, So anyway, last time we looked at Abraham, and we looked at the special relationship he had with God. We looked at how we were included in God's promise to bless the whole world through Abraham's offspring. Now this week, we're going to look at how God chooses 
the nation of Israel, and how he set them apart to be his holy people. As we've journeyed through the Old Testament, we've seen how God began to reveal himself by choosing individuals like Seth and Noah. And then we saw God revealed himself through one man's whole family, the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And 400 years later, where we are going to start today, Jacob's 12 sons have grown into 12 tribes. There's over a million of them now. And God is going to choose them to have a special relationship with him. In Deuteronomy 7, God says, you are a people holy to the Lord. God wants his people to be holy. God wants us to be holy. Now, holiness is a hard word to say today. It's difficult today to tell people God wants them to be holy. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants you to be holy. That was easy, wasn't it? (laughs) Well, sometimes it's difficult to tell people God wants them to be holy because most of us will admit that we are not perfect. Most of us. Most of us will admit we aren't perfect. So how can we be holy? And one of the meanings of holy is perfect. When we say God is holy, we mean his complete moral perfection. We mean God is holy because he's a God who cannot lie. He's a God who is always faithful. He's a God that in him there is no darkness at all. That describes God. It doesn't describe us most of the time. And it didn't describe Israel. So what does God mean when he says, you are my holy people? It's because of the Hebrew word for holy, which is kodesh. And it means set apart. Set apart for a purpose. Being holy means being set apart from everything else for a specific purpose and set apart for God for a specific purpose. Now, when I was young, a child, my mom had a nice set of Royal Albert China. And we never got to eat off it. I don't know if any of you have dishes like that. Because it was set apart from ordinary dinner, and it was set apart for special company. So in a sense, the dishes were holy. Well, at least to my mom. Even though they didn't have moral perfection, they were set apart, and we're set apart. So even if we're we're not perfect yet, being holy means being set apart for God's special purpose. In Deuteronomy, God makes it clear he didn't choose Israel because of any of its own accomplishments or because they were more perfect or there was anything special about them. He chose them to be holy and set them apart from all other people, in order to love them, to give them an identity, and to give them a destiny as God's chosen people. When believers say we're holy, we're saying God chose us, and we belong to him now. I want you to turn to your neighbor and do this, and tell your neighbor, you are holy. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I am holy. Let's just all say this together. I am holy. 
I want you to get used to saying that. It's important. Later on this week, Satan's going to come to you. And he's going to try and tell you something. And whatever it is, I'm telling you in advance, here's what you tell him. Just say, I am holy. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. You say, if I'm holy, what can touch me? If I'm holy, what can come against me? If I'm holy, there's no temptation that can come to me that isn't common. God will give me a way of escape. If I'm holy, I belong to him. If I'm holy, I don't belong to that other stuff. That's, I think, that's a wonderful thing. So remember, you're going to say that sometime this week when you need to say it. Don't forget. You'll go, oh, I should have wrote it down. What did he say? Anyway, but, so, but before Israel could become God's people, he needed to get them out of Egypt. Now, you guys already know the story of Moses. You already know the story of all the plagues that God sent against Pharaoh, and you know the story of Exodus, and you know the story of how God brought them out with a mighty hand through Moses, and how God parted the Red Sea and they passed through on the dry ground. You already know that story. Yes, you do. And so I'm not going to tell you that story right now. But that story is the pivotal moment of the Old Testament. It's the beginning of Israel as a nation. It's the core identity of Jewish people today. But first, God had to get them out of Egypt. Egypt had 1,500 gods. God had to get them out of there. The Egyptians worshipped everything. They worshipped cows. They worshipped cats. They worshipped crocodiles. They had a God for every single thing that could ever happen in your life. There was a God somewhere that you had to do something around with it. And the 12 tribes were living in the middle of that, and it was an influence on them. It was affecting them. It was affecting their thinking. And their thinking was affected by generations of slavery. They had a slave mind because that's what all they had known. They had a mind that said, oh, we're pretty helpless and can't do anything. They had a mind that said, well, we, we can't. We, we sort of just need to stand around and let other people tell us what to do. And when they tell us what to do, we'll complain about it. But they had, so they were, they were impacted by that. And in Egypt, they did not know this God Jehovah that Moses was telling them about. For them, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was ancient history. It was a story they heard from their grandparents. They needed to have their own encounter with God. They needed to reprogram their thinking from the old Egypt way to a new way of trusting God. And that couldn't happen while they were in Egypt. So God got them out. And they became a people with a before and after story. Anyone know what? A, everyone here have a before and after story? Yeah. And the story was, once we were slaves in Egypt, and God brought us out and made us free. God sets us apart by taking us out of where we were and giving us a before and after story. Everyone who believes in Jesus has a before and after story. And, and I don't mean... Some story about drugs and degradation. That's not what we mean by before and after story. People are going to say, well, what about people who are young, like children, or people that grew up in a Christian home? Do, don't, do they have a before and after story? Yes, they do. And we know this is true. 
Because every person who puts faith in Christ has been brought from death to life. And every person who has been baptized, we just had a whole bunch of people baptized the other week, and every person that went into the baptismal tank and through that water was testifying, I have been passed from death to life. So no matter how young you are, no matter if you were raised in a good home, no matter if you escaped all the nonsense that some of us had to go through, you still have a before and after story. Baptism is the testimony of that. That's the meaning of it. In fact, Paul says in the New Testament, then when Moses led the people through the waters of the Red Sea and they were taken from slavery to freedom, Paul says it, they, it was just like they were being baptized. So they've got their baptism in the Red Sea. I hope that helps. So throughout the Old Testament, God is always telling people to remember their before and after story. You need to remember it. It's important. Deuteronomy chapter 15, he says, Remember, remember you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. When they remembered their history, things went well with them. And when they forgot, they got into trouble. We need to remember our history. When God chose us, he brought us out of the old life into a new life. That's who we are. We need to remember because this God who helped you before is the same God who's going to help you now. It's who we are as a community here together at Grand Valley Church. We're a group of people who are united by a shared experience that God took us out of where we were and brought us to himself. Now, what a relief it must have been to be freed from slavery. Just imagine everyone going, oh, Moses, oh, that was a close one. Oh, I'm so glad we're free now. This is great. What are we, where are we going next? The wilderness. What? what? Yeah, Moses' next move, the next step, they, Moses led them into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness doesn't sound like a very nice place. At least that's what we usually think. Some, you know, a lot of times, Christians will say stuff about the wilderness, right? They'll say, well, if you're going through a particularly testing time, I don't know if you've ever done this, and you say, oh, I'm going through the wilderness. Or you're going through maybe a dry spot in your life, or you're going, oh, you know, I'm going through the wilderness, or I'm having a wilderness experience. But going through the wilderness was a necessary part of the process of being chosen and set apart. Because it was God that told Moses to lead them into the wilderness. Moses told Pharaoh this. God says, tell Pharaoh this. God tells Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. God called them into the wilderness because God wanted to meet with them. And so they told Pharaoh, let us go. We're going to worship in the wilderness. They didn't tell Moses when they'd be back. So, but the wilderness seems harsh, but it has this going for it. The great thing about the wilderness is it was empty. They called it a desert because it was deserted. The wilderness wasn't empty. They didn't have 1,500 gods in the wilderness. They didn't have all sorts of people to harass them. They didn't have all sorts of people to distract them. There were no distractions in the wilderness. It's where they were. 
And it was a place for God to be alone with his people. It was a place where they could learn who God is. So don't think so bad about the wilderness. I want you to embrace the wilderness. It's a place to find out who God is. It was also a place where they could be together as a community. That's why the Holy Spirit called them into the wilderness. Do you ever wonder where is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? You ever wonder that? You read in the whole Old Testament and you go, like, where's the Holy Spirit here? This is where he is, right here. The Holy Spirit led them into the wilderness. He led Jesus into the wilderness. He led them into the wilderness. In Egypt, they were 12 independent tribes, just family groups. They didn't have any unity. They didn't have any vision. They didn't have any leadership. It was the Holy Spirit who gathered them together and united them under Moses' leadership to take a journey to the promised land. God couldn't take them from Egypt right away to the promised land. There were enemies in the promised land, and they didn't know how to fight. They weren't warriors. They would see a shadow, and they'd start shaking. We know they were fearful people. They'd be constantly going, there's giants, you know. So they were not warriors. They didn't know how to fight, and they needed to know how to fight. They, so they needed that time together in the wilderness with the Holy Spirit as their teacher. He was the cloud by day and the fire by night that led them through. The Spirit was the one who taught them how to feed on bread from heaven. It was the Spirit was the one who taught them how to drink living water from the rock. The Spirit protected them, and every day the Spirit was teaching them how to be a community that trusted God and listened to his voice. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to be. That's why the Holy Spirit has gathered us together. There are many lessons God wants to teach us that we can't learn on our own. You know, one of the worst things about the COVID pandemic was everyone figured out they could, well, I guess I can stay home. I guess I don't have to be in church. I don't have to be part of a community. I seem to be doing all right, you know. But there are lessons that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us that we cannot learn by ourselves. Lots of them. The Spirit gathers us together with God's people to teach us those lessons. We learn and grow by being together with other people, sharing together and serving each other. And because we're all human, that is sometimes, if not always, a messy process. And I get an amen that sometimes church is a messy process. If you don't say an amen, you're not being honest. Of course it's a messy process. But that is the difference between a church that is a community and a church that is Sunday morning spiritual entertainment. Real church is not a product. It is a process. And it's a process of being set apart to become what God wants us to be. So if it's messy, that just means... You need to be here. How long, it, we, how long we spend in this process depends on us. 
God did not actually intend for Israel to take 40 years to get through the wilderness to the promised land. But we won't be able to move on to the next step until we learn the lessons of the wilderness, until we develop the new ways of thinking, until we learn to depend on God's provision, and until we learn to trust God for victory in our battles. God chose Israel and he set them apart because he wanted to dwell among them. God told Moses, they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. That was God's heart. That's what God wanted. Because I want to be with them. So I'm going to set them apart and make them holy so I can be with them. That was the whole thing. I'm going to take them out of Egypt so I can be with them. I'm going to take them through the wilderness so, so I can be personally with them. God is looking for a people for his own possession to be, have a dwelling place among them. God in their midst was their national identity. They weren't the largest nation. They weren't the strongest. They weren't the wealthiest. The characteristic that distinguished them from everyone else was they were the people whose God lived among them. God dwelling with his people meant he would be the center of that community. God will be with people when we make him the center. God will be with people who enthrone him in their hearts above everything else. That's, that's where God will be. How do we get God here? Just make him first. That's all. Make him first. Desire him above all else. Just what do we want you more than anything else? He'll show up. He'll show up and he'll, he'll, he'll be his people. We, the Bible says that God said, you're, gonna, you're my treasured possession. If you have a treasured possession, you won't allow just anyone to come along and use it, will you? If you have a treasured possession, you won't just leave it somewhere and, then, and have somebody come over and abuse it and misuse it, would you? If it's a treasured possession. Well, God's the same way. God loves us too much to share us with anyone else or anything else. He just loves us too much for that. So well, why does God want me to be holy? Because he loves you. He loves you too much to take second place in your heart. He's going to do it. If we want God in our midst, if we want to enjoy God's presence, if we want to see God's spirit working in us, then he needs to be the center. Now, to show that God was at the center, God gave them a covenant. It was a covenant established that established them as the people of God, as his treasured possession. It was a covenant that provided laws that showed what it meant to be uniquely set apart for God. They weren't going to be like other people or do the things that other people did. They weren't supposed to look like the other nations that were around them because they were supposed to be showing those nations what God looked like. To show God was at the center, God told Moses to build a tabernacle. A tabernacle is a physical dwelling place for God. And to put that tabernacle in the center of the camp. 
So whenever they were on their journey and it was time to, you know, time to, okay, guys, it's time to stop and set up a camp somewhere. They had it arranged that certain of the tribes were supposed to camp at the north and certain of the tribes were supposed to camp at the south. And there were some tribes that were supposed to camp at the east and there was supposed to, some tribes were supposed to camp at the west. But in the center of the camp, there was going to be one tent and that was the tabernacle of God. God was at the center. God was at the center. It meant that no matter where you were in that camp, you could see where God was. You couldn't get out of your tent in the morning without seeing the tabernacle and without being reminded that God was at the center of your community and that you were one of God's people and God was here to take care of you and to help you in multiple ways, day after day. And year after year, they were reminded that God was the center. Every day of their lives, the covenant laws, the incense, the smoke of the sacrifices going up from the tabernacle reminded them of who they were and what made them different. It was God living in their midst. What makes us different as a group of people? Well, there's lots of things we could say it could be. But I pray that what distinguishes us will be God living in our midst. People were supposed to look at, this, at Israel and say, oh, you know those people, God's in the middle of them. Well, that's what, they, that's what the people in Jericho said. People are supposed to look at us and say, look at those people. What's different about them? Nothing. They're just ordinary, well, except God lives with them. God's in their midst. That's a pretty cool thing. The tabernacle also reminded them about holiness. To be set apart for God means to be pure. And everything in the tabernacle was a symbol that illustrated what made it possible for sinful people to enter the presence of a holy God. The blood of the sacrifices pointed them to the price that God was going to pay to purify us the blood of his own perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It was not only a reminder, it was a signpost to the future. The rituals, the sacrifices, and the tabernacle and the smoke and all those things you're going to read about in Leviticus and Exodus that might confuse you, those were a signpost pointing to a future when the symbolism would be replaced by reality and the word would become flesh and live among us. The tabernacle was architectural prophecy about Jesus. When Moses became old and was about to die, poor Moses, I should have spent a whole sermon talking about him. He did a lot of cool stuff. I'm just brushing over. So I've got, the only thing I say about him, he died. But when Moses became old and was about to die, God trusted him with a prophecy. And he told him that he would send another prophet, just like him, who would come and lead God's people. He said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I'll put my words in his mouth. He'll tell them everything I command him. 
I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that that prophet speaks in my name. Now, after Moses, Israel had many great prophets. There was Samuel and Elijah and Isaiah and Hosea. And those prophets did many great things, but none of them was a prophet like Moses. The Bible says, it says in all this time, there never, ever arose in Israel a prophet like Moses. It's a, it's a tough job description. In order to be just like Moses, that prophet would have to be a prophet whose words came directly from God, and they would have to be words that bring life to those who listen to them and believe. In order to be like Moses, that prophet would have to be a deliverer who would save his people from captivity and bring them into freedom and lead them from death to life. He'd have to be a leader who could defeat all their enemies, bring them into God's rest. He'd have to be a priest who would sanctify his people, make us holy in God's eyes, and bring us into God's presence. In the whole history of Israel, there was never a prophet like Moses until Jesus came. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. God's story is the story of God's plan from the very beginning of creation to choose people who put their faith in Jesus and to make them his own people. He chose ordinary people like you and me and gave them an extraordinary identity and an extraordinary destiny to be holy and precious with God's spirit living inside them. Everything God did in the Exodus and the journey in the wilderness and the people of Israel was planned for this purpose and to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Now, next time, we're going to look at the law that God gave Israel we're going to be deep into Leviticus. Someone's going to say amen to that. God, and we're going to see that God gave them a law based in perfect love. So they could be a people who love God and who love each other. And who could, so they could live together in a way that demonstrated God's love to the whole world. So when we get to that, I think that's two weeks from now. But I hope you'll join me and we'll look into that and we'll have a good time with it. So that's for next week. 1 Peter chapter 2, we read, You are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's story, and it's our story too. Once we weren't anybody, and we didn't belong to anyone, but Jesus came, and God chose us to belong to him. Now we're God's people. We're his special possession, chosen to do God's will, to declare his glory and goodness to the world. We have a holy calling here at Grand Valley Church to be a community in the spirit, that knows God, serves God, and shares God together. He chose us and set us apart to be a people with God at the center so that everyone can look at our community and see what God looks like. 
It's a wonderful thing to be chosen. I hope you all know that you've been chosen. God chose me. Gave me a before and after story. If you don't know that, if you don't have a before that before and after story, God's ready to choose you. He's ready to choose those who put their faith in Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. God shows he loves us by choosing us for himself. God shows he loves us by forgiving our sins and purifying us and transforming us and giving us a life that's like nothing we knew before. Because God chose us to be holy, then we should choose to be holy and to live in a way that pleases him and show that we belong to him. That's the message. I just want to pray over you, and let's just pray together. Let's just, we just appreciate you, Lord, so much for all the things you've done. Who would have believed, Lord, that you would want to live with us and be with us? So, Lord, I pray for your people here in this church, Lord, for this gathering of people. We pray that you would Help us answer a higher calling. That you would help us answer the calling to be your special possession. To be your holy people, Lord God. To make you the center and put everything else aside, oh Lord God. Lord God, may the fruit of this message be that you are at the center, dwelling among us, Lord. And that we are your own treasured possession. Lord, do it for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.